Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Crime Dive. I feel like this has been long awaited, um, and I hope everyone is just as excited as I am to finally have this going and have the first episode up, and I hope you really enjoy it. Um, Real quick, before I get into the case, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who's been giving me their undying support um, in this crazy little dream of mine. I've wanted to do this for a while um, and just kept putting it off, kept putting it off, so I'm glad that um, I had all of you guys to support me and push me to get here, and I am very excited to be bringing this podcast to all of you. So with that, uh, let's get started into the case. I had debated for a long time on which case to start off with since this is the first episode. I wanted to pick something that I thought everybody would really enjoy listening to and I ended up picking up uh, one of my favorite cases of all time. Um, It is the unsolved murder of Elizabeth Short or as some of you may know as the Black Dahlia. It was a cold morning on January 15th, 1947 in Los Angeles, and Betty Bersinger and her daughter had just left their home to head into town. They were headed for a local shoe repair shop, so things seemed pretty normal for them. They had approached the corner of 39th and Norton and passed multiple vacant lots along the way. Um, World War II had struck and development had slowed in the city drastically, and because the war had ended only a year and a half prior, construction was really slow to start up again, Um, and this left all of the lots looking really abandoned and eerie, and so it had already put Betty on edge that morning. While continuing to walk along the sidewalk, she started to notice something white among the weeds. Um, Betty didn't think too much of it at first because many people would throw trash into the vacant lots. Um, She initially had thought that someone had thrown away a store mannequin, um, and she had thought that it was kind of an odd object to throw away, um, and it had been separated into two halves, um, but she didn't think too much of it, and she continued to walk forward, um, she said that something kept trying to draw her attention back to the mannequin, and then upon closer inspection, she had realized the mannequin was not a mannequin at all, it actually was a woman who had been severed in half. So Betty had let out a panicked scream and led her daughter away from the site so her daughter didn't see anything, and she then rushed to a nearby house to call the police. It was the officers Frank Perkins and Will Fitzgerald who had arrived to the scene within minutes, and they were the ones to arrive first. When they were able to confirm Betty's story, they immediately called for backup. So LAPD noticed that the woman's body had been posed, or it seemed she had been posed. She was lying on her back with her arms raised above her shoulders, and her legs were spread in a twisted display of what they had called uh, seductiveness. There were cuts and abrasions across her entire body, and her mouth had been sliced to extend her smile from ear to ear, or otherwise known as the Glasgow smile. And the investigators had believed that she had been tied down um, and tortured for several days due to there being um, rope marks on her wrist, um, her ankles, and her neck. And her naked body had been sliced in half just above the waist. Now, the thing that is most odd to me is that there was no blood present on the woman's body nor around her body, and it seemed like her body had been washed. Uh, So the investigators thought that she had been killed elsewhere, um, cleaned, and then dumped on the vacant lot overnight. 
Now, here's a snippet of uh, what Detective Jesse Haskins had described the body as when he had first arrived at the scene. He had said, The body was lying with the head towards the north, the feet towards the south, the left leg was five inches west of the sidewalk. The body was lying face up and the severed part was jogged over about ten inches, the upper half of the body from the lower half. There was a tire track right up against the curbing and there was what had appeared to be a possible bloody heel mark in the tire mark and on the curbing which is very low there was one spot of blood and there was an empty paper cement sack laying on the driveway that also had a spot of blood on it it had been brought here from another some other location the body was clean and appeared to have been washed so lapd um frequently investigated homicides however um they had not seen anything quite of this horrible of nature um and so it made this case a top priority but by the time that um the detective hansen and detective brown had received their orders and gone to the scene news of the gruesome murder had already spread so it was already teeming with reporters and photographers um and so everything was kind of already getting under out of control before they'd even gotten there so while the crime scene was continuing to be investigated, um, the coroner had come and gotten the body to take it to the local morgue um, to try to identify her as possible. They felt like there was not much time to waste um, for this homicide investigation. They wanted to quickly try to clean things up as things were already circulating in the news. Now, once her fingerprints were taken and the FBI was able to get um, a clear read on the fingerprints that were taken, um, the victim was then identified as 22-year-old Elizabeth Short. Elizabeth was born in July of 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts, though she spent most of her life in Medford, Massachusetts. So, in Medford, Elizabeth was living with her father, Cleo, and her mother phoebe and then in 1929 the great depression hit um and then cleo abandoned his wife and uh, the five daughters and cleo had faked his own suicide and he left an empty car near a bridge leading authorities to believe that he had jumped into the river below so um, elizabeth's mom phoebe was left to deal with the hard times of the depression um, all by herself and take care of the five girls on her own. Years later, Phoebe had received a letter from Cleo um, saying that he had actually moved to California and he had apologized and told Phoebe that he wanted um, her to come home or he wanted to come home to her or them to come out to California. Um, however, Phoebe refused and never wanted to see him again. Then, even later on, when Elizabeth was older, Cleo had offered Elizabeth residency um, with him in California until she was able to find a job and get out on her own. Um, Elizabeth had really liked working in restaurants and theaters, um, so she knew that she wanted to be a star, so she thought that moving to California could give her her chance to be on the big screen and be an actress like she really wanted to um, however when she had moved and packed up her things to live with her father in california it didn't take much time um, before their relationship started falling apart all over again um, he would scold her for being lazy and keeping the house um, messy and her dating habits and then he eventually kicked elizabeth out um, in mid-1943 and then she was forced to be out on her own 
During this time, Elizabeth had her one and only run-in with the law over something very small, and then she ended up not being charged for anything. And then later on, she met a pilot um, named Gordon Fickling, and they fell in love. And she felt like he was the man that she had been searching for for a really long time. And um, they had made plans to get married, and then the plans were halted uh, because he was shipped out to Europe. She had taken a few modeling jobs, um, but she still felt just pretty discouraged in her career. Um, and then she went back east to spend the holidays in Massachusetts, um, and then later living um, with relatives in Miami. So Elizabeth had kind of really been moving around a lot, not really sure in which direction to go. Um, and then later she fell in love again with a pilot um, named Matt Gordon. And he had promised to marry her um, after he was sent to India, but however, he was unfortunately killed in action, and so Elizabeth was left heartbroken again. Um, a very odd thing, she had um, a period of mourning where she had told others that um, Matt and her had actually been already married and that their baby had died in childbirth. Um, and then once she began to recover, she attempted to return to her old life um, by contacting her Hollywood friends. Elizabeth then got back into contact with Gordon Fickling, her former boyfriend, and she kind of saw him as a possible replacement for Matt Gordon. So she began to write him and meet with him in Chicago um, when he was in town for a few days. And so soon she was falling head over heels all over again. Um, and she had agreed to join him in Long Beach uh, before she moved back to California to continue pursuing her dream of being in the movies like she had always wanted to do. Then, on December 8th, 1946, Elizabeth had left Los Angeles to take a bus to San Diego. Um, she had been supposedly worried about something right before she'd left, and she'd been staying with Mark Hansen, um, who was questioned on December 16th, 1949. Investigators had asked him while she was living at the Chancellor apartment, she came back to your house and got mail. And Mark Hansen responded with, I didn't see her, but she was sitting there, one night when I came home and at about around 5.30, 6 o'clock, sitting and crying and saying she had to get out of there. She was crying about being scared, one thing and another, I don't know. Then while she was in San Diego, she'd befriended a young woman um, named Dorothy French. So Dorothy was a counter girl at the Aztec Theater and she had found Elizabeth sleeping in one of the seats after an evening show. So Dorothy um, felt sorry for Elizabeth because Elizabeth told her that she had left Hollywood because finding a job as an actress um, was difficult and there were all of the actor strikes that were going on. So Dorothy was kind and felt sorry for her, like I said, and had offered her a place to stay at her mother's home for a few days. However, in reality, Elizabeth ended up sleeping there for over a month, which I don't know if it's the time or what it is, but I don't think that most people would just offer someone a place to stay that quickly without really knowing anything about them, uh, let alone letting them stay at uh, your mother's house and for over a month. So while she was staying um, at the French family's home, um, she did very little housework and didn't really contribute to anything, and she continued her late-night partying and dating habits. Now, one of the men that she had become involved with um, was Robert Manley, and he was a salesman from Los Angeles who actually had a pregnant wife at home. He'd admitted that he was attracted to Elizabeth, um, yet he had claimed that he had never slept with her. 
They had seen each other off and on for a few weeks, and Elizabeth had asked him for a ride back to Hollywood, and he agreed and picked her up from the French household um, on January 8th, 1947. He'd paid for um, a hotel for her for that night, and they ended up going partying, and when the two of them returned to the hotel, he claimed that he had slept on the bed and Elizabeth had slept in a chair. Then on the morning of January 9th, uh, Manley had an appointment and had returned to the hotel to pick up Elizabeth around noon. Um, she told him that he was she was going to return to Massachusetts, but first she needed to meet with her sister at the Biltmore Hotel in Hollywood. So he drove her there, but he didn't stick around. He had an appointment at 6.30 p.m. and didn't wait for Elizabeth's sister to arrive either. Um, and so when Manley saw Elizabeth last, uh, she was making phone calls in the hotel lobby. So Manley and the hotel employees were the last people to see Elizabeth um, before they had found her body. And as far as LAPD could tell, um, only Elizabeth's killer saw her after January 9th. She was missing for roughly six days from the Biltmore Motel, and then her body was found in that vacant lot on January 15th. Now let's go back to um, what the coroner's report had looked like during the investigation. Elizabeth's autopsy had revealed that there were multiple lacerations to the face and her head. Uh, there was no sperm present on the body because, like I had mentioned earlier, the killer had washed the body clean. So there were numerous cuts in a crisscross pattern over her pubic area, and very odd, her pubic hair had been removed by hand. So most of the damage done seemed to have been post-mortem, including the severing of the victim's body at the waist. So the coroner had ruled that the official cause of death was hemorrhage and shock due to concussion of the brain and lacerations of the face. So now that the body was identified and they had the autopsy report, um, the investigation could officially start. Um, and then, of course, there was the awful fact of having to tell Elizabeth's mother, um, Phoebe, about the news. Um, and this is what kind of makes me most upset about this case. I feel like the way that it was gone about um, and telling her mother uh, about her daughter being murdered um, was not the way that it should have been brought up. but So it actually wasn't even the police, the FBI, nobody who had told Phoebe about the news. It actually was someone um, from the newspaper, um, Wayne Sutton. He was the one who was tasked to locate Phoebe, um, and he was supposed to be telling her about the news of her daughter's death. However, Sutton felt like it was a better idea to obtain information about Elizabeth first, um, because he felt like she would, Phoebe would be too shaken up to tell him information about Elizabeth if he had, um, brought the news to her first. So Sutton had seen that Elizabeth, um, had won a beauty contest recently, and so Phoebe had apparently loved to talk about her daughter, um, and was willing to tell Sutton everything that he wanted to know, and, and then once he had received all of the information that he felt he needed, that's when Sutton had told Phoebe the truth which I just cannot even believe that someone could do that. But Phoebe didn't believe him at first, and she couldn't fathom that her daughter was dead, um, let alone being murdered. And so it was a whole shock to her. And um, Phoebe had actually ended up going um, down to see the LAPD herself so that they could tell Phoebe the story in person. Um, and then she would finally later accept the news after hearing it in person. Now, because previously, like I had mentioned, um, right as soon as the body was found, um, it was already 
filled with reporters and photographers and news crews. So um, that is when the term um, the Black Dahlia was coined. So the term the Black Dahlia actually was a joke in reference to the film um, noir murder mystery, The Black Dahlia, and it was actually released only nine months prior to her murder. Um, and Elizabeth had actually frequented the drugstore um, when she'd first lived in Long Beach, and the customers remembered her for her black hair, black garments, and fair complexion. Now, towards the beginning, um, there were two main theories on her killer. So they thought that Elizabeth had never met her killer before her death, and the other theory was that she did know him uh, beforehand. So then the police were later convinced by the latter option due to the mutilations present on Elizabeth's corpse, um, which were then signs of a personal vendetta. The LAPD had also thought that her murderer had some sort of medical training, um, and this little snippet is from an FBI letter letter that they had written on February 25th, 1947, and they had said, The manner in which Elizabeth Short's body was dissected has indicated the possibility that the murderer was a person somewhat experienced in medical work. The Los Angeles Police Department has undertaken to develop suspects among the medical and dental schools in the area, as well as among other students who have anything to do with human anatomy. So my original plan was to not split this episode up into two parts. Um, However, I um, kind of forgot how um, interesting this case is and how um, in-depth it can really go. So I'm going to end this first part here and then... um, I'm going to do the second part that focuses mainly on the suspects and the just the few main suspects that I really um, think could have had something to do with it, um, as well as kind of my opinion on everything, since this case is still um, an open case. It's not. It's an unsolved. It's a cold case. So, um, But don't worry, I will not keep everyone waiting too long before I... Um, do the second episode so keep an eye out um but i just want to thank everybody for tuning in here um and listening to this first episode and i'm very excited to see um what this brings and by the second episode i should have the instagram um for crime dive up and running so you can follow and send in suggestions so i'm very excited to have that up as well so keep your eyes peeled um and just keep an eye out for the second episode